Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I'm, uh, I'm going to San Francisco uh, this week. I mean, the lovely jo- Joanne are going out. Actually, we're going to Alameda for a friend's 50th birthday party, but we're going to San Francisco Thursday and Friday. And my friends can't believe this when I say this, because I lived in L.A. for 13 years. I've never been to San Francisco. I was there. I drove through it when I went to a big reggae festival, and I don't remember the ride back. But I, I've never been there, and I'm really excited, because, you know, with my health, I have to watch uh, my sodium, you know, but this is my bad weekend. Because I'm going to tell you this much, I want the bread bowls. I want I want to go to get the dim sum in uh, Chinatown. So I'm pretty excited. And also, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, my college, Richard Stockton College in New Jersey. They sent me this great shirt I'm wearing. It's a uh, WLFR. It's their radio station, and they'll be actually playing my show starting uh, any week any week now. So you be checking out my Stockton. Uh, the whole new generation of people I can relate to. They they, they won't get me because they're all 19 and 20, and they'll just think, oh, this guy graduated in college in 1986. But it's okay. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have um, a gentleman who I got in touch through with uh, the wonderful Stephen Benz. And we have Clive Farrington. How are you doing, Clive? Hello. How are you doing? Good. I, I love the accent. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, have, I have one friend who's uh, English, and we call him English David because yeah. uh, one friend who's English. And uh, your accent's much better. He, oh, thank he, you. Your, your thank sounds you. good. Like his is like <laughs> sort of like stodgy. Like it's just, well, yours is like fun. Oh, thank you. I've, I mean, I've been told to slow down a little bit when I'm talking, especially when we're doing live shows and stuff. It. it, it because um, you tend to, because of the adrenaline and everything else, you, you you tend to rush things a little bit. So I've been told to slow down when I'm speaking to a, a U.S. audience so that they can at least try and understand me. Because, of course, my language or my accent is different to the London. Like I come from Manchester, which is 180 miles north of London. It's a different accent completely. Yeah, that's what I noticed. But it, it's I like your accent better. Thank I, you. Thank now, you so can, much. Now, now, where's Gordon Ramsay from? Gordon Ramsay is actually uh, uh, originally, I think, from Scotland. Okay. Because uh, he played for a, a Scot. He, he was a soccer player. He played for uh, Dundee United, I think. Uh, so he's Scottish, and Ramsay is a is a Scottish name. And Gordon, you, as co- of course, is a Scottish name. Are you a big soccer fan? I am Manchester United. Yeah. Okay, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, for some reason, I like Tottenham. And yeah. the only, only reason is years ago, my English friend, he's a big Manchester United fan. Yeah. And we have a friend from Norway who's a huge, huge, uh, yeah, uh, Manchester fan. Yeah. And he was going back, and he goes, "Do you want me to get you a soccer shirt?" And everyone in America, they like Manchester United, Chelsea, or Arsenal. That's uh, like everyone. They always wear the same things, and yeah. I'm like, I don't, you know, you guys like Manchester United. That's your team. I don't want to jump onto the coattails. Yeah. So I just said, get me a shirt. And he brought me back a Tottenham shirt. Wow, wow. And so I said, I'm but a Hotspur fan just, I've just been back for my daughter's birthday. Uh, the birthday was in April, so I was back in the UK for a while. And I went to the United shop, and uh, we've got a really nice connection over in Mexico City that we know a promoter over there who's a mad Manchester United fan. So while I was, uh, in, in, while I was there in the shop, I checked in at the, at the United Superstore, and I sent him a message that says, I'm looking, I'm buying you a shirt. So he said, oh, wow. Uh, in the real shop in the proper Manchester United shop buying a shirt. See, know? that's cool. That's cool. So <laughs> so you're 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 from Manchester. Yep. Now, as a kid, were you a big music fan? I mean, what made you come down this road? What what this road that you followed to be a musician? It was one just one th- massive thing that happened to me while I was at school when I was 12 years of age. Um, the school for whatever reason decided to take us yeah the school the music department at the school decided to take us to to watch the Halle Orchestra which is the the, the orchestra in it's like one of the best in the UK it's called the Halle Orchestra and they were doing Swan Lake the the music from Swan Lake not the actual ballad about the boring part but the the actual music part of it i shouldn't say boring because the the ballet's nice as well but the, the 
the music resonated. We were right there at the front where all the bass stuff was, you know, where all the cellos and everything else. I was right at the front, and I was getting this thing. It was resonating through my body, and uh, and from then I, it was bass for me. That's what got me. Okay. Into, I actually started to play the drums when I was five. I was, and and, uh, and of course this experience going to see one of the best orchestras in the UK and and, and playing this. And, and of course Swan Lake is a, is a beautiful piece of music. The whole th- they played the whole thing, and was feeling all of this stuff coming through me. And that, that was it. Then I was I, I had the bug as it were. Now thank God you were good at it because it would stink if you loved it and you weren't because that always happens like I love music but I'm <laughs> awful I can't I mean I took guitar lab in high school and I, I like everything to me sounds like I'm playing a song but my friends go it doesn't sound it make, doesn't sound like anything I'm like no I'm telling you this is Led Zeppelin and they're like yeah. no it's not it's a bunch of chords <laughs> so so you you play the drums at five so you yep. listen to this and now, now what do you do you're 12 you, this 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 changes your life so yep. what do you go do you sit there and start playing a mu- music instrument or do you start singing or what do you do well I was actually still playing drums and I actually played drums for the school orchestra okay. and I got into the, the three four time I, I like the waltz stuff as well I love that that the, the, the three four timing and stuff like that so I was playing drums for the school and weirdly enough, I actually played drums for the school, but never played drums in a band. I never, got, I don't know whether it's because I didn't get the opportunity or whether I didn't really fancy being in a band as a drummer. Uh, but then I got a, 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 of course, we all, you know, when we leave school, we have to get proper jobs and everything else to make, to make ends meet. And I got a job at this engineering company. And the foreman there came round and he was asking people, he says, are bass players ill, uh, Ill today? So tonight we're, we're doing a show tonight, and we don't have a bass player because he's ill. Anybody play bass? I says, "Well, I, I can't, but I will if, if you're stuck. I'll, I'll have a go." And so um, he said, they, "They couldn't get anybody else." So they said, "Right, you've got your chance." So I said, "Make sure you transpose all of the songs into E, A, D, and G, which is at the open string." So I didn't have to do any of that. Okay. So everything was on the open string. So they transposed all of the songs to E, A, D, and G. I went to Woolworths, which was open at the time. It's all closed down now in the UK, but Woolworths had a an Epiphone copy bass guitar for thirty quid, thirty pounds, thirty okay. UK pounds. Uh, so I bought that in the afternoon, learned all the songs and played that night on the bass. And then that's how, that's when I started to play the bass. And then from then on, I was I watched, I used to watch the television playing the bass. I used to have the bass right. You know, I, I, by that time I'd bought a, a solid bodied bass, so I'd, I'd have the uh, I'd, I'd have the body up, up to my neck and, and it'd be resonating through me while I'm watching the television. So I learned to play the bass. Who were some of the bands you were following? I mean, when as you were watching the television, who were some of the well, music that influenced you that you said, okay, I, I want to play like these guys? I mean, who were some of the... Brian Eno. Okay. Uh, Roxy Music. Brian Ferry as a vocalist. He, he was really impressive. Uh, bass players, it, it, it was weird. I was a bass player, but really I didn't take a lot of notice of, of bass players. But we had Thin Lizzy, of course. I, I think... Uh, um, God, I, I, what was his name? Phil Lynott, he was a fantastic bass player. I love bass players that can actually play and sing at the same time. Stings and Stings won. Um, I used to love the jam. Of course, Bruce Foxton that was the bass player. And the, 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 their stuff was just phenomenal bass-wise. It's really cool about bass players because I had uh, Doug Pinnock from King's Excellent a few yeah. weeks ago. And yeah. he said that he just fell in love with the bass. He said it was yeah. so weird. It's like bass players, it's like every kid wants to play the guitar. And there's, so there's not a lot of bass players. But he says bass players, they just fall in love with it. They just play it once and they go, this is what we want to do. We just want to, it's different. Because yeah. everyone knows the bass player is not going to be, you know, it's always a guitar. You know, yeah, yeah. shredding. But the bass players are the backbone. 
own. Absolutely. I always watched that part of it as well. You know, I was never really impressed by people. For instance, Jimi Hendrix never impressed me. It was always more the bass players and the drummers that impressed me. Uh, and of course, as I mentioned, Sting's a phenomenal bass player because it was just very, very simple, and he, he and the way he sang along with the bass was just really, really phenomenal, and something different as well. It, uh, it, it, when the police came along, it was something co- that was completely new. It was a bass player that was singing at the front, uh, who was the front man, you know. Right. But it, it's, it, it's a rare thing to have the bass player. And Lemmy Motorhead was, is, a, is, a, is a perfect example of what of. of how rare it is when it, to, for a band to come along and the bass player is the actual star of the band and, and that really impressed me. So you're sitting there, you, you, you play the bass, you got, they got the bug, you're playing with this band. So now do you sit there and say, you know, these are the engineers at work and I don't want to play with these guys. Do you sit there and say, I'm going to create my own band or what do you, what do? You do? Yeah, well, I, I actually formed my own band called Bow Leisure. Right, uh, which, yeah, and it, it kind of revolved around Dave, a fellow called Dave Powell's uh, songwriting and my bass playing, I, I, because of Bruce Foxton from the jam, I got myself a Rickenbacker. I loved the sound of the Rickenbacker. And it was a stereo bass, and not many people use it in the way it should be used. And I decided that I really wanted to use it the way it should be used. In other words, I got myself a stereo socket coming out of the guitar and going into two amplifiers either side of the stage. So one was picking up the top end, the treble, and the other was picking up the bass end. So I had this really weird sound, like a stereo, a proper stereo bass. And it was quite unique. And, and and at the time, there was bands like Duran Duran were massive, Spandau Ballet were massive at that time, and we, our band, Bow Leisure, wanted to be in that. How did how did you come up with the name? I always I always wonder how bands was, come up with names. Yeah, Bow Leisure was it came from the fact that we, we or I uh, had this. I think the way the future's going is that that people are going to have more leisure time because computers are taking over, robots are taking over, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, the the jobs will be few and far between. So our, our um, the future is in entertainment and 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 leisure time, if you like. Le- the, the industries that are really making it right now are, are the leisure industries, and that's what I saw back then. And Bow Leisure, Bow is the a gentleman. Okay. Uh, and leisure is, of course, leisure, so it's a gentleman of leisure. That's what that means. So, so you you formed the band. Now, how long are you guys playing? Um, we were we played for about five years, and we were massive in Altrincham, believe it. This little tiny place that, where we lived, and uh, we we played. The, it sounds daft that being massive in Altrincham, but it, it, we, we were kind of one of those bands that were destined to come out of nowhere from from this little town in Cheshire to actually make it somewhere you, you know the, the record companies were looking at us uh, but unfortunately it just didn't happen you know we we got a, a residency at a place called the Unicorn in Altrincham that we played for we played for the whole of the five years that we were together and then of course it, 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 it came to the point where we'd been together for so long and not doing anything when you've not actually made a splash on the big circuit if you like where and, and and got a record deal you have to go so you have, you have to think about it and so we 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 decided to to split up and that's when really I I kept the band going the original version of 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 Bo Leisure had Dave Powell he's a great fan and I'm still friends with him now but we kind of went our separate ways I kept the name and I asked these other fellas to join us and and we carried on for another 2 years and then the same fellow that I asked to join, Bo Leisure, stayed with me informing when in Rome. How do you find, I always wonder, how do you find guys? Because it's not like now. It's like when, when people sit there, you know, and, and younger people don't understand. It's like when I used to do stand-up comedy, it wasn't like you could just 
put something up on Craigslist. Like, uh, you know, now you can say, I'm, I'm looking for stage time or I'm doing this. And a band, it's like, you can't just like, now you can just sit on Craigslist or a musician site going, I'm looking. Yeah. I mean, how how do you find, and, and there was no computer. I mean, there was no internet. Then how did, how did you find the people? Was it all word of mouth? Like you said, I'm, I'm, okay, we're going to start this new band, when in Rome, yeah. I, but I want these guys. How did you, did you hear about it from people? Or Well, you know, back then it was, of course, the Manchester music scene was quite, very, very, uh, happening, it, it was. Uh, we had the Hacienda nightclub, which was one of the best nightclubs that's ever created, which was owned by New Order, the people from Factory Records and everything else. So we, the the bands that were coming up through, we had the Smiths coming through, we had uh, the Stone Roses, New Order. It, it was a very very uh, healthy music industry, if like. And, and where we hung, these people hung. You know, they, they, they where, where we hung out, um, the people in those bands were hanging out. And luckily, I had parents that were really, really into what I was doing as well. And they, if I wasn't going out to see a band, they they would go out to see a okay. band, and uh, and that's how that happened. The, 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 when I uh, brought the keyboard player on board to join Bow Leisure, my mum and dad were watching a band in Northwich. They came home to me and enthusing about these two fellas that were in this band, and uh, I said, "Well, yeah, let's have a look at them." So one of them joined as the vocalist, the other one joined as the keyboard. That player. is so cool because, like, my my parents were like, you know, like Guy Lombardo, you know, like like crap. Like you sit there and you're like, wait a sec, you know what I mean? And it was like, even my dad did listen to some jazz, but you sit there and it's like, my parents had old people music. Like your your parents were going out and checking out these. It's well, awesome. My dad was really into the Smiths, and I I I wasn't. I, okay. I'm not a Smiths fan, but my dad was really into the Smiths. And <laughs> you're <laughs> You don't like the Smiths, exactly. get to your room. <laughs> but that was the, yeah, absolutely. My dad's, really, even today, I mean, he's 80, what, 86? And he still loves new music. He likes quite hard music, you know, the stuff that's quite groundbreaking. Um, that, that Just like normal, like, uh, for instance, I would say Michael Bublé stuff doesn't interest him at all. Whereas the, the like, hard dance music and, and, and uh, quite hard uh, the, the Killers and, and all sorts of different bands that are not what you would expect him to like. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, you know, 80 or 85-year-olds you know, going to get a CD, not that they buy them anymore, but getting on iTunes going, oh, yeah, yeah. I got the killer song. Yeah, and my mum shouting to him, what are you listening to that stuff for? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you sat there, and, and so you, you get these guys, and you start. Now, how'd you get the name When in Rome? When in Rome, was a, it came to us because my dad always used to say it was the, his thing, his saying. I used to say it all the time. You know, if, if we we used to travel a lot when we were kids. We were all all over the UK, and wherever we were, he'd go, "Let's go and do this." He'd go, "When in Rome, well, while we're here, we might as well do that." So, uh, the keyboard player and I were down in in London um, recording demos for, for before we were actually called When in Rome. We were we were writing demos for a project, and Andrew Mann had come on board at that time. So the keyboard player and I were rolling around in London and we stopped at this place, which was different. To, yeah, at that time, there was no big... You have to understand, that it's back in the time that when there was no Chinese restaurants in, in, in Manchester. They were all down in London. Most of the, There was an odd feud, but, but it wasn't... For instance, Thai, Thai food wasn't available in Manchester, whereas it was in, in an Italian food. There was stuff that was happening in London that was not happening in in Manchester so we were down in the big smoke as they call it and recording these demos and we're doing things that we we wouldn't normally do back in Manchester so we'd stopped at this shop and he went in to buy something that you couldn't get in I forget what it was and he came out and I said when in Rome and we both went wow that's let's let, that's the name of the band let's See, keep that that's cool that's so cool <laughs> so you get the name of the band now you're both writing 
Yeah. Okay. Now, now, how did how did you break up the uh, how does how is that how did you guys do that? Do you know it's fantastic. Somebody asked me about that. I was at the House of Blues last night, and they they uh, I was introducing the Spasmatics on stage, and we were talking about the promise before before I introduced them. And he says that part in the in the in the chorus that goes, "I promise you." He says, "It does it does it have a you on the?" I says, "Yeah, it's it's that's exactly as it as it said." And he says, "Is that you?" Or I says, "No, that's Andrew who does does the low part in the and the song is actually sung." the way it was written, and that was exactly the same, that was the format that we used for every song with When In Rome. I'd write the first melody, the first lyric, and the chorus, and then I'd give it to Andrew. So the promise is sung the way it was written. Okay, so it was very, it was very, very collaborative. Yeah, absolutely. And and he lived in London at the time, and it, that this is before, it, as you said, before yeah. you could send MP3s by email and stuff like that. It was, it was at a time when you had to record it to a cassette, the demo, send it by post to Andrew down in London and then you'd wait for him to call you and say oh yeah I like that idea I'll put something together now who did the mu- who wrote the music for it too the same way or the music always came from I have this way of writing where I'm not a great player I can play bass and I can play a little bit of everything I can play of course I can play drums but of course it's handy to be able to play the piano if if you've got melodies right. in your head, uh, so I didn't. We had a keyboard player that I could actually uh, play hum or or, or you just do a la da kind of way of putting a melody across to him, and, and he, he he'd replicate it. And and that's exactly what I've just done with. My, I've just done a, a solo album with a fellow called John Brooks. I'd have this idea at five o'clock in the morning. Most of my ideas come at five o'clock, and it's it's unbelievable. It's like an alarm clock. I, I wake up at five o'clock and I've got this melody in my head and sometimes I have a whole song in my head and I'll, I'll hum it into my eye. Back, back in those days, I had a Walkman, I had a, a cassette Walkman. I had, yeah, I remember those yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. So it was right at the side of my bed. So I'd get these ideas and I'd just hum them into the, into the recorder and then I'd play them to the, to, to the keyboard player and it just replicate it on the keyboard and that's where the da-da-da-da-da-da, that that's what came to me at five o'clock in the morning one morning. So I, I I got him to play that. He played that, and that and the melody came from that. The the, the opening line, "If you need a friend," blah blah blah. That it came from that uh, basic chord structure of C, A, F, and G. So you guys are going back and forth and working on the songs, and and I'm sure it was in the back of your head, it must have been you know you probably had felt some frustration because with the uh, other band, it took a while. You didn't get signed. Yeah. So when you're sitting there, did you feel a little bit of that same? Did you feel like you were under the gun to get a record deal now, or did you sit there and go, okay, you know what? This this feels right. We're gonna we're not gonna rush it. We're gonna take our time. Or how did the whole thing come out where you actually got the record deal and how they saw you? It's it, it, of course we'd never had a hit record before, right. and, and we'd written this thing called the promise. And of course you don't know what it feels like to have a hit record, but instinctively, I I, I kind of I knew it was a, a song. I knew it was a quite a. It was a good. It, it's hard to say that your own song is a good song, but it. it, it no, you can't because it's a classic <laughs> song. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's like it's a hit. There's a reason why the songs are a hit. If it, yeah, but it but it felt like a good song, and uh, of course then Andrew, being the man he is, he was uh, the the guy that we had in the band that was the the go getter, if you like, the 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 networker, the the, the fellow that was that was hanging around with the, the record company people down in London. He decided to move to London before we even thought about the band. He, months before he came on board, 
uh, he joined the band, he'd already decided that he was going to make his way in London as an actor or musician, whatever he was going to do, he was going to do something in London. So we'd sent him this tape down, and he, he at that time he was hanging around with all the major P, uh, A&R guys. Um, and there was one place, and I, I forget what it was called, but but it was a place where they all hung, hung out. They'd... they'd uh, They'd work all day at the record companies and all the A&R people would come together at this one place where Andrew got to know and, and, and hung out at. And so he'd have drinks with them and then he'd, he'd get a lift home at the end of the night and they'd all have cassette players in the car. He'd play the cassette to them and they all, all, all of them were giving it the thumbs up. You know, a lot of the record companies were giving it the thumbs up and saying, what a great song. Um, and then it was Elektra who decided to sign us first which of course is fantastic for Andrew. That was brilliant because he was a massive Doors fan. You know, the, the Doors were signed to Electra for him. And I think we're, um, I may be wrong, but for me, some reason, Scott, I think the cars were with Electra. Yeah, because uh, I remember the scene that their yeah, logo. Yeah, the the, 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 the E logo. Yeah. and I love that as well. I love all that logo stuff. <laughs> so Electra were a great label to sign to because and, and because Andrew was a massive Doors fan. That was I'm sure for him that was fate complete. He was, he, that was it. He, if, if nothing else happened, we were signed to Electra Records. Right. That was the big thing. <laughs> so uh, for, for whatever reason, and, and Electra had signed Simply Red at the same time as okay. well. WEA, uh, which is part of Electra, had signed Simply Red. And uh, Electra had offices in London. And that's where we did all the signing and everything else. We signed the deal. Um, but for some reason, they decided to take the, 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 to close the London office. And they went back to California. So it was really very difficult for us to deal with the time difference Every time we needed something or we needed to know something, it was always having to wait till either late at night. It's, it's eight hours, right? Because yeah, from the East Coast, it's five. Absolutely. So it's yeah, okay. So by the time that we're waking up, business is, uh, you're asleep in bed. You've done your day's business and everything. It's very difficult to deal with. So we decided amicably to get, it was Simon Potts who signed us to Electra Records. We decided amicably to get out of that deal. And luckily, Electra Records, uh, sorry, Virgin Records were still interested through, through a fella called Mick Clark. He was their A&R man for 10 Records, which is a division of Virgin. Uh, he was still interested, and and they were so interested in, enough to buy us out of the Electra deal. Of course, Electra didn't want to let us go. They still wanted to keep us, even though they'd come back to California because they'd spent a lot of money on the demos and everything else. So uh, Virgin decided to buy them out. In other words, pay for all of the stuff that we'd done with Electra and sign us as, 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 a, as a band. And then EMI, Virgin EMI Publishing signed us at pretty much at the same time. So it, it was really, it was a lot, it was hard work on Andrew's part that, that we actually got the deal. If we'd have been back in Manchester and done exactly the same thing without having Andrew down in London, I don't think there would have been a, I don't think the song would have done it. But it's interesting that you spoke about San Francisco because we've not been back to San Francisco since back in the 80s and that's where the record broke okay we we had a friend that came to live in San Francisco who brought the 12 inch record with him and that had already been out in the UK <clears throat> yeah it was released in the UK and so was it a hit or because uh, uh, it no, blew no, up it over went, here it actually went to 53 on the chart in the okay. UK which is good I mean that's well, still a hit you know, for me it got in the Guinness Book of Hit 
records, which is you know, yeah, it's it's in it's a history thing for me. It's there. It's it's recorded as being at least it got like you say fifty three for me is great. It got in the books and it was. Well, why is it in the Guinness Book of Records? Because it does the top one hundred Guinness Book of Hit Records. Oh, okay, okay. It's not actually the. the okay, the, okay, that's it would be, that would be a good thing. As <laughs> That'd well. be awesome. Like, okay, we're, we're you know, so it got in there. So you're number fifty three, which is good. Yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, you, absolutely. That, I mean, you, first of all, I'm happy with that. I, I always say anyone who's actually has gotten a record or gotten a record that's been heard, yeah, is such an accomplishment. And because there, mm. there's so many musicians that you meet, just you know, that don't ever get any kind of break. Yeah. So you're number fifty three over there. Okay, and you're and so your your friend moves to San Francisco. Yeah, and he brings it with him. Yeah. And then what happens? He goes to, he stumbles upon the biggest radio station on the West Coast at the time. Live 105 was the biggest radio station on the West Coast. We It transpired. Um, and he goes to the DJ. It was a day in the days when you can actually walk into a radio station. There's no security at the door. Like here, because like power, power 106 is up here. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, well, which, you know. I mean, it's, it's understandable. You do, you know, you do, you, you do get nutcases coming down yeah. and, and, and causing trouble. But, you know, to, for bands that really want to try something, it, it's a shame that, that there are people that would, would cause a problem. But, you know, for bands that are coming up like us when we were coming up, it, it the fact that somebody can actually walk into a radio right. station, give it to the DJ, and the DJ go, goes, "Wow, this is an English band. Nobody else has got so it." So he has this. He, well, he just he gets in there and he gets He's got it to the twelve-inch record, and and he, he starts playing it. And of course, you know what it's like if the big radio station on the west coast is playing it. Everyone, everybody wants to play it, and of course, it's a very different situation. I don't know whether you, I'm sure you know this. In the UK, you have to sell records or you have to download the records to, for them to become a hit. But in America, it's always been radio play that makes your record a hit record. So that's how our song became. They, they gauge the chart off that with what, what records are being played on which stations. So the, the, whoever does the chart, whoever makes the chart up is do, doing all this, uh, you know, collecting all this information from all the radio stations, what's being played and everything else. And that's how they form the chart. And of course, the, 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 the record blows up. Everybody's playing it. The, the promise becomes it went to number one on the dance chart. It went to 11 on the major chart, so you know it did really, really well. Now, were you guys still across? Or were you across well, we, still, or because all of a sudden you have this huge record? You know, it's blowing up over here, yeah. And but it's it's a number one on the dance chart here, but it's 53 there, yeah. So you're probably sitting there going, "We got to get over to the states." Absolutely. So we at the time we were managed by a fellow called uh, uh, Alan Mark, who was Jonathan Ross's manager, who's a very, very big uh, celebrity over in the UK. Does a lot of talk shows and stuff. So that and he shared a flat with Andrew, uh, and uh, he was managing us at, at the same time as Jonathan. But Jonathan was becoming really, really successful at the time, and we thought, you know, Alan's spending a lot of time. Of course, he has to spend a lot of time with his uh, the person that's becoming famous, if you like. So we amicably said to we said to Alan, you know, we, we understand that you 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 need to spend more time with Jonathan, and we need to look for a new manager. So we went to our record company, we said to Virgin, can you find us a, a manager? So they recommended a fellow called uh, Paul King, who's not, not the, the fellow that was on MTV, but he's a management company called Outlaw. Uh, and they managed Tears for Fears and many other artists. And so that, for America, that, they, they, this was specifically to actually capitalize on what was happening in, in America with The Promise. So they chose a manager that was really doing something, making waves in America, 
to do something for us. So we had a meeting with him and it was fantastic. The, the record company were bending over backwards for him. They said, we'll do whatever it takes to get these guys uh, up and running and, and, and capitalise on the, on the record. Um, so we had a meeting at the, his really nice offices in Soho. And he says, right, who, you need some more. You've got the promise. We know that. Um, you need th- at least three more tunes to match that or at, at least not it's very difficult to say that but to be as in their eyes as good as the promise more hits you need for the album so he says who do you want who would you like to produce you so we were all on and our in andrew wanted somebody and i forget who he wanted uh the keyboard player wanted somebody else and i i said well i, I was always into landscape a band called landscape and richard burgess richard james burgess who it transpires did um, Spandau Ballet's uh, to cut a long story short and that what the album that that came from I didn't know that at the time um, and, but he was in this band called Landscape who would really for me uh, one of those bands that, that that I listened to that nobody else else knew and I thought I was really exclusive listening to this band but he, he actually was the person responsible for the design and the research and development for the Simmons drums which always you know these hexagonal right. drums and he actually was the, the, the instigator of that design, and I, I was always into that. I, I loved the sound of those drums, and Spandau Ballet used them. John Keeble used those drums. And and for that reason, I, I, I liked the idea of, of him being involved on the, on a production side. So I mentioned that to the to, to this to our new manager, and he said, right, picked up the phone, and he said, hey, Richard, what are you up to? And he's, he says, I'm with Living in a Box at the moment. Remember that tune, Living in a Box? Yeah. Yeah, well, he was with them. I was a huge... I, I, I just I turned 50 in October, <laughs> and uh, I was a huge... I mean, yeah. I, was in, I was in college. I graduated in 86, and man, every... It's so funny how those songs, they just, they, they just still resonate with you. It's like yeah. when you hear it, you go, wow. So yeah. I remember, you know, yeah. when I had hair, and I was, <laughs> I was loving it. Yeah. So, okay, so what were yeah. you saying? I'm sorry. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, he phoned him up and he said, "He said I'm, I'm with Living in a Box, I'm recording it. He says, well, I've got Wedding Room with me here and they've got a record, they've got a uh, hit that's happening in, it's uh, play, being played on radio called The Promise and they, they, they need uh, three more tracks for the album. Are you interested in producing three tracks? And he, he said, absolutely, straight away, yes. Uh, and he said, well, when are you going to be finished with Living in a Box? He said, I've got about six weeks to go on the, uh, to, to finish the recording of Living in a Box album, uh, but then I'll be available. So he puts the phone down. He says, right. He says, forget waiting six weeks. Let's get you out there. Let's get you acquainted with the, the atmosphere in L.A. and blah, blah, blah. So we, of course, at that time, we're signed to Virgin Records and Virgin owned the airline as well. So right. the day after, we're flying with, we got a rushed visa, flying with Virgin Records on a 747 to L.A. First time ever been to America. What did you, you think when you got to L.A.? Oh, it's, it's mad. It's just, I mean, the things that you, we used to watch on television, like the Beverly Hillbillies and stuff like that. It's all, that was my favourite show growing up, the black and white Beverly Hillbillies. Because yeah. that's the first thing. We get to the Hyatt on Sunday. We're staying at the Hyatt, the Riot Hyatt. Um, comedy store's next door. Robin Williams is playing that okay. night. Um, and, uh, of course, it's where Led Zeppelin threw the motorbike off the roof and the pool now is on the roof. They threw the motorbike into the pool right. from whatever floor they threw it from. Now, when you when they flew there, did people know who you guys were? Did they know like, oh, that's the guy that, that that's the band that plays the Promise? Because if they do, it'd be it'd be bedlam out here mm. because it was such a big hit. And, and you know how LA is. I mean, yeah. it's like especially especially if it's, it's people visiting. You know, yeah. they, they see like, I mean, I, I I meet actors and musicians all the time. So yeah. for me, it's I'm, I don't get Gaga, but my my yeah. girlfriend, if she, she oh my god, we saw the guy from <laughs> Big Bang Theory, and she just moved out here to. Uh, 
three, four months ago. She's like, oh my God, that's, and so they get, yeah. so, but the people know you. Yeah, I think they did, yeah, they did, but I mean, not on as massive, not on as big a scale as, you know, I mean, when at the end of the day, we had one, one hit record, and I think it's, uh, you know, when you put it on the scale of uh, Duran Duran and people like that, of course, that's on a much bigger scale. When we went to Brazil, it, it kind of was, it was a bigger deal, because in Brazil, when in Rome, we're, we're, we're bigger on that scale. And luckily, I, th I think luckily for us, it wasn't that, that big. Oh, no, I, I wish it had have been that big in, in, in L.A., but I think, on the, let's put it this way, we're not mobbed. But it, it was quite nice because when people would come up and say, yeah, you're, you're, you're the guy from When in Rome. I think it, it wasn't, uh, you, you know, we, there weren't people throwing themselves off buses at us and stuff like that. So, But when you got here, when, when, you, would, when you got here, when it was already playing, it was popular. Now, had you already done a video or no? The video was recorded, had, yes, it, had it, it been released? Because uh, yes. you kids out there, the, the younger listeners don't understand that MTV used to be music. Like, I mean, I remember yeah. when MTV first came out. In fact, yeah. I, I I hung out with Jeff Downs, yeah. who was in Buggles and wow. later went on to Asia. Yeah, yeah. And that was the first video. Yeah. But back then, it was like we all would sit there and we were mesmerized by what a video was because we were they were so new to us. And you could sit there watching it for like, three hours yep. and you could just leave it on instead of your radio and if let's say you walked away and if you heard a song you didn't know you'd rush back to see oh who is that yep. now MTV is all that crap and yeah. it's like there's like, there's no videos anymore isn't that weird how that's gone like that because in in, in, the, in Mexico they have a, a show called Tele Hits which is the, it's the MTV format that from the old way they do it and it's massively popular it's still playing music all the time it doesn't have any of these reality tv shows like the osbournes or anything like that. it's got it's got proper music proper videos all the time so the music industry in mexico and latin america is very very healthy because they've stuck to the format i, I don't know what happened here it sells records the thing yeah. is it's like people want to yeah. see it you know it's like a video and a video it's, makes you look i mean it it, it, in, it the videos they they also they transcended fashion you know, yeah they did yeah. everything like you know you sat there and you know when duran duran came out we all wanted hair like simon Le bon. <laughs> you know i remember taking a picture of simon Le bon to a hairdresser <laughs> and ladies like, like yeah thing. right you don't look like simon Le bon, okay you don't have the hair <laughs> <Go cut."> away. <laughs> but so so the video but so when the video came out you guys must start getting recognized more yeah absolutely yeah uh, and, and it was at the time when mtv were actually playing stuff and vh1 were playing stuff so it was it was yeah and uh it's nice, you know. I mean, you can't say it's not nice. It's nice to be recognised, and that's what you're in it for, you know. You, any, I, I, I don't. I really don't like these bands that, that, that once they become successful, it's all, you know, it's all doom and gloom, and I'm always in the limelight and stuff like that. You can always take yourself out of that. Exactly. That's what I always um, say. Yeah, and it, it's a shame that they get that, that that bands do actually do go like that. And I've been very, very lucky that I was re reading this article about a. a, a a film, he's actually an actor, I can't remember what his name is right now, but he's an actor that's been in loads and loads of films, but never as the, the, uh, the, the, the top billing, if you like. Um, and he's written a book about Hollywood, and, and it, all about the ins, the workings of Hollywood, how it works, and about all the actors that are involved with all the big films and everything else. And somebody asked him, how, how can you write a, a film about Hollywood when you've not really been that big a star? He says, well, that's the best time because I've been like a fly on the wall watching all of this stuff happening and I've had time. And that's very much the same for me being in When in Rome. You know, it, it wasn't so big 
that that I didn't get time to 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 do other stuff, you know, and to be able to look at stuff and not and and to be able to breathe a little bit. bit. You could you could enjoy your success because it wasn't Absolutely. over success. So yes. you could go on a tour Absolutely. and you could sit there and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to the mall. I'm yeah. not going to get mobbed. Absolutely. Which I always think, you know, and we all anyone in the entertainment business, we want to be recognized and noticed. Yeah. But I wouldn't want that amount of fame. Yeah. Where you can't go anywhere because uh, th- then you don't have a life. You're yeah. trapped by it. But if if you're like I have, a, I have a lot of character actors on my show who, yep. when they go out, people recognize them, but they don't mob them. No. And they'll get their, you know, they'll be at the airport and someone goes, oh, we really like, we yep. like your work. Yep. We'll bump you up to first class. Yeah. But then they don't have people going, oh, you know, you know, trying to get on. And, and, and I think that's, I think that's always good. I mean, with, yeah. especially with you guys, because it, it's great because you're, you're, how old were you? When we had the hit, yeah, twenty six. Okay, so you're still still young, you know. Yeah, it's all yeah. new, and you're from Manchester. Yeah, still. yeah. So now, did you guys tour a lot, or did you perform? We did when we, of course, when we came over here and we recorded the three tracks with uh, Richard Burgess. It was then when we, when we finished those recordings that we we uh, Virgin Records put us out here on a tour. Two, we did two tours of America, and they were they were full-on promotional tours there was not it wasn't a, a money-making exercise it was full-on PR stuff you know we, we, we toured everywhere you name it we we went were you guys on the bus just traveling yeah um, it was actually I suppose it was a posher way to do it we were actually doing it flying everywhere you know getting on a on an aircraft was like getting on a bus you know we'd, we'd, we'd rush everywhere though it was like very very uh, you know, because it, these things were going on daily, and it'd be getting up at five in the morning, having to get to the airport for seven, getting over to do a sound checks at wherever we were going, doing the show, coming back to the hotel, sleeping, back up the next day at five o'clock. It's quite a hectic schedule, and I, I guess what it's like for somebody with five hit records right. in a row, that's going to be that's going to wear you out, and that's why they do wear out. You know, they, they, you know, bands like Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet. That's why they get, you know, they they. They uh, tend to not last all that long because of the the, the hectic schedule that, that that comes upon them through not their well, of course, because they're successful. It's their own fault. <laughs> so you're you're touring America, and now I know it's hectic and all that. But are, are you loving it? Or are you sitting there going, "Wow!" Like, are you getting that rush? Because I, I did stand up for a long time, and yeah. and there's that certain rush on stage. Were you getting that rush? And now, different from when you were in the original band. When you started the uh, Bo Leisure, Bo, I pronounce it wrong, Bo Leisure, <laughs> Bo Leisure. Uh, when you were in there, you, people knew you and you're big in your town, but now you're going to all these different cities and everyone knows that song. And just, yep. it, I mean, the place must just, must have just exploded because it was, I mean, it's, it was a number one dance song. So, yep. you know, and number 12 on the charts, I think, or 11, 11, yeah. 11. So it, everyone knows the song. Yep. So, I mean, it must've been a big rush for you, these, you know, you, you know, from where you were years ago to sit there and go, wow, I'm in the middle of Iowa <laughs> and these people are going, you know, and nothing against and Iowa people. Song. But yeah, and they're singing with you. Now, what, what is it? What does the artist think when they sing with you? Does it throw you off? Or, especially <sighs> no, if they, said, no, if no. they suck. What if they suck? If oh, they can't I like sing? them. I like them to suck. You okay. know, let them, let them, <laughs> sound as bad as they want to be you know if they, and it, I like to hear people that can't sing and I like to hear people that sing and uh, it's, it's it's great I think it's just beautiful that they can actually join in and and, and, and of course that for me to, f- to to feel that that's what it, it, for people to actually sing along to a song it's like a, a football match a soccer match you you especially united they have a proper like a I choir know. section yeah, that, that I, sings the songs see I, I was never used to that when i watch soccer with my friends yeah. they'd go oh, that yeah, song yeah, and, and I, we I'm all not sing together 
and and it's because of the love of the football team it's because of the and for me that's a great thing that I've given something to be able to get some love back from it you know it's great uh, and we played Mexico City in 2012 20,000 people in the Palacio de, de las I hope I pronounced this right Palacio de las Portes in Mexico City this massive venue 20,000 people and luckily, the, the week before, I, I just recorded a track with a fella called Alex Sintek, who is a massive, he's a Grammy nominee, an American Grammy nominee, and he's won the Latin Grammys many times. And uh, I, I wrote a song with him for an album that's coming out next year. And uh, while we're in the studio, he said, um, I know you're doing the, uh, the big show in Mexico City in a couple of weeks' time. Would you do me the honour of allowing me to sing The Promise with you? Now... We'd been asked to come on this show because Human League was supposed to be doing this show and, and dropped out for whatever reason. And when in Rome, we're asked to do it. So we're filling big shows and I'm thinking, how, how is this going to work? So 20,000 people, Alex Syntex asked to come and sit. The biggest artist in Mexico asks to sing the song with me in Mexico City. So there it is. There's the answer. So he comes on stage with well, well we go on stage first of course and we do wide wide sea we do heaven knows we do the songs off the album which go down great because at, at the beginning of the show i say we've got a nice surprise for you at the end of the uh, at the end of the set blah 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 and and of course they're very responsive to all the songs that we do and then we, it comes to the time and i said ladies and gentlemen I've, uh, I, I asked for the house lights to come on and i said ladies and gentlemen i've got a a nice surprise for you all but I want you to help me with it I want you all to sing with me okay and I've got one of your favourite sons to help sing with it as well and when he's ready his texts are getting his piano ready and everything else says, when he's ready I'll introduce him so um, I watch the text get the piano ready and, and, and then I, I, I say to the audience okay ladies and gentlemen please welcome Alex Sintek and the roof comes off the, the, the 20,000 people just screaming you know and then we go into the promise, and it's like that. Maybe they weren't, weren't all singing it, but it was like they twenty thousand people were singing the song. The, you couldn't hear me. Okay, it was like fuck, everybody in the audience was singing the song, and of course they've got the phones up and the, with the lights on. And everything. That's always right. weird. Like for me now, it's like because I grew up with the, when there was a lighter in a concert. Yeah, yeah. And no, now you see, like, yeah, and yeah. they have the phones, <laughs> and then there's there's actually apps that have a lighter. Yeah. So you can oh wow! Put, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, put yeah. your app up like you have a lighter, <laughs> and I'm like. Perfect. Just bring a lighter. It's a safe way of doing it. Isn't right. It? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So now the, the band disbanded in ninety. Ninety one. Okay. Yeah. We. We. It, it, there's a. That was a, That's pretty. Uh, it's. It's quite inaccurate that in a way because it. Uh, it, it didn't happen that way. Andrew and I actually stayed together okay. as when in Rome, and we parted ways with our keyboard player. In 1992, we found we got another p keyboard player called Matt Rowe, who went on to great success. With he, he produced the first Spice, three Spice Girls albums and wrote a lot of stuff for E17. Uh, it became very, very successful in his own right. So he came to Brazil with us as the keyboard player. So when in Rome was still active in 1992 in Brazil, we did a tour of Brazil. Yeah, what it's so funny. It's like what? Why were you so popular in Brazil? It's like uh, I heard like. Um, Gilby Clark, when he was on, said Guns N' Roses was like giant in Brazil. Like, like mm. other bands could come down. Like everyone, he said after he left Guns N' Roses and went down solo, everybody knew. Like he was getting like more attention than Robert Plant. It was like yeah, this big yeah. thing. What? Why? What was it? Just because it's the dance thing, or it's just Brazil's a party city, or or what is it that just made you so popular in Brazil? Yeah, I, I guess it is that. And the, and the, the song, the promise, of course, is that I, I programmed the drums on that. It's got that. Doo -doo -doo you know that really weird dance thing going on and uh, 
I think that's probably what resonated with them most because I don't know whether the, you know, the only example I can give is when we did this thing in Mexico City, they were all singing the song, the, the Mexican, Spanish, Mexican, you know, that they speak Spanish. Most of them can't speak English and they're singing the song in English. So whether I don't know whether it's actually the, 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 the I'm still puzzled as to what it is, to tell you the truth, because I don't know whether it's the actual meaning of the lyrics that resonates okay. with them or the actual way that the, 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 the drums are programmed or the bass or the, the actual melody line of the song or whatever. So I'm, I, mean, I am puzzled, but it, it, it is a fact that in Latin America it was a big... So you, it's, you're touring Brazil, and then, then after that, do you guys decide to, to part ways or what happens? Well, we'd lost the record by that time, it, even while we, while we were touring. Virgin Records were actually sponsoring that tour. Okay. But we weren't signed to them anymore because we, the, the, the record had fizzled out and we lost the record deal through our own fault. I mean, we did some daft things. We, I mean, Andrew was very, very hot-headed and he, he wanted things to happen really fast and stuff like that. And the record company got a little bit sick of waiting for us. They, they, um, they, they, they put a lot of money into doing the demos for the next album. But of course... I think the promise was I think it's hard to say again I can't say that the song was so strong that it was hard to although I'm going to say it now it, well, you have the, to yeah the song was so strong that it was really quite hard to follow up with it and the, especially from the record company's point of view we thought we could we, we thought we actually could and we think we have you know there are songs that are, are as strong but the record company were impatient so um, and they'd spent a lot of money and stuff like that. So we we lost the record deal. We went to Brazil on tour. Virgin still sponsored the tour, even though we weren't signed to them. And it was a very successful tour. We were out there for a month, and it was constant. You know, there was shows every night. Um, we came back, uh, to, and of course, to no success in England again. You know, if we'd have stayed in Brazil, if we if we decided to live in Brazil, right, we could have made a living. And of course, if we decided to come to the USA, but there was, we had commitments back in the UK. Of course, I think that if we'd have decided all of us to come en masse to to the USA, we would absolutely be more successful than we are. So now we're going to come to the point where Napoleon Dynamite, which yep. it, you know, it, it hits a whole different crowd. Now, yep. how? How does someone find a like? How did someone find that song? Did they did they sit there and go, okay? Um, I mean, it fits it fits perfectly. It fits the ending, perfect, but I always wonder, like, did they sit there and go, okay, we like this song as a as a writer director? Did, did they someone contact you guys, or how did that work, or did a movie company contact you, or what's that? What happens with that? Well, at the same time that I mean, we were back in the UK and. Uh we we'd make made friends with our keyboard player again he the, the fellow that we'd fired from the band and stuff we made friends with him and he phoned me i was actually my daughter was born in 1999 i got a proper job to make ends meet and everything else so i'm at a hotel I'm, but i'm working in what we're doing here where i'm working in event technology and my passion is being in the studio and working with equipment and working with microphones and speaker systems and everything else and that's what i was doing at the hotel so i got a call in 2003 out of the blue and it was our ex keyboard player and he says We've got interest in the song. Of course, he he try he lives for whatever reason. He goes to live in Dallas, uh, and they contact him because he's the only one living in America. Okay. They contact him, uh, so he contacts me at the at the hotel and says they want to use the song in the movie. 
And absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so the negotiations were done, the finances were done, the, we agreed to do it. But I think the way it was done, the, because you've got, you have to remember, that I'm talking of San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, because uh, on the 10th of June, it's the 10th anniversary of Napoleon Dynamite, and they, they're, they're showing the Blu-ray version of it. It's being released on Blu-ray for, for, for the anniversary edition. So in San Francisco the other week, John Hedder, the, the lead actor, is there, at a theatre and they're the showing the movie for the first time and I'm in the audience I've been okay. invited and instead of playing the song at the end I sing it live at the end oh wow that's so cool <laughs> and then John Hedder does the the, um, uh, the the question and answer session at the end of the, the movie well what was amazing about well, that movie no one thought it would make money and, no, and, it, and it became such a huge I mean it became like a like a, almost like like the John Hughes movies used to be in the eighties, yeah. became like this cultural icon. Yeah, I mean, when when you talk about the promise being used, it was people that actually liked that song and grew up with it. You know, that made the movie. It was people that were at college, all at college together, at, at film school and stuff. And six hundred thousand dollars is the finances fit. It's six hundred thousand dollars to make, and it's pulled nearly sixty four million uh, at the box office. So it, you know, it did become that. And uh, uh, and again, I'm always very, very intrigued at the way how how films are passed. You know, when somebody gives a script to a filmmaker, how does that? How does Napoleon Dynamite resonate with the filmmakers to say we are going to make that film? Right. Especially when you you see the opening line of it, and it's a, it's a, a, a geeky fella on a bus with a soldier, and he unravels it, and it's, it's trailing at the back here. What is that all about? Right. You when you're watching that movie, it's kind of quite uncomfortable at that point. You think, what what's this going to be? Until you watch it all the way through and what it what it's all about, and it, it, it's this fella that becomes somebody that nobody respects to somebody that everybody respects, right. and, and that that that's what it's all about. And that and the song being used at that crucial point when he gets the girl, when he's playing the tetherball, the girl. Yeah, <laughs> it was a real back. crucial point, and you know, for, when you of course when you when you're the writer of that song and you watch that part and you think, what? Yeah, it was made for that, and it's weird because I always wanted to write music for film okay my I, you know I, the thing for me is some if, if somebody gave me a film with no just with the dialogue on it i could write a piece of music for that film i think that would be quite easy for me to do um and i've always wanted to do that kind of thing and i always grew up listening to soundtrack you know the, more than the film itself it was the soundtrack that was going under the film that was really more important than the actual what the film was about because that sort of told, told the story in itself and uh, I always wanted to do that, and it's weird that it's happened that way around because the song "The Promise" was not written right. specifically for a film, but then it was used in a film. So I'm thinking that's a job saved for me. I've already written the song. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the, the the movie's a hit. Now then, the song peaks a lot of interest again. Then you have a whole new crowd, right? Yep. Yeah. So what is that like? Because you're sitting there and you're going, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm cool you, again, aren't I? Yeah, no, that's it's, a, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like yeah. you hit it with like my crowd. You're always cool. But now, like, <laughs> I don't have kids. but My friends who have kids, they're watching Napoleon Diamond. And all of yeah. a sudden you have like kids. I mean, in all honesty, kids from I mean, so your your musical, the, the success of you guys in that song is basically goes from like nine years old to like 65. Yeah. Which you don't find. I mean, you find it from like bands like The Who and stuff, but that's because we listen to that. But yeah. kids now don't listen to that. But no. all of a sudden they hear that song. Yeah. And so now are you guys, do they sit there and all of a sudden people say, do people start buying it again? Is it just become... Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, download-wise, there's more downloads because of the film and everything else. But it's really cool to, to, that my daughter, got, you know, when she goes to school, all of her mates know the the song and know that I've written the song for that movie and because they've watched Napoleon Dynamite it's a, it's a it's a very uh 
youth-oriented movie, you know, a lot of young people have watched it, and, and including school children, you know, and, and Saskia comes home from school and she'll say, oh, my friend was talking, Dave, her and her family were watching Napoleon Dynamite last night, and then your song came on at the end, and they saw your name on the credits, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fabulous, I think it's a, it's a, it's a lovely thing, and it's a very, uh, a very rare thing, isn't it, and, and something that I would have never have dreamed would, would have happened. So, so all this was happening when you were in, over in England? Yes. So yeah, yeah. It was at the time when I was at the hotel. I was at the film comes out in two thousand and four. I actually stayed at the hotel till two thousand and ten, and I'm thinking to myself, why am I not out in America? Why am I not coming out to America to, to, to capitalize on that? And especially now, because it's it's so funny now, and you know, the eighties are coming back huge. Like for for me and my friends, they never left. Yeah. You know, and. But for like my my girlfriend's niece is a freshman in college, and they have a uh, film class about the movies of John Hughes. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the eighties are just something that we lived them. That's how I say we lived them. I say, you yeah. guys, you know. But now, so so now, is that why you brought you back to America? Brought you over to America? Yeah, I I, I now live in America. I've got a place in uh, in South Bay, and. Um, so I, this is where my work is now. I, I'm a full-time musician, full-time singer, so that this is where my work is. And I, I decided last year that I, I really want to do it, you know. I've actually taken retirement in the UK, so uh, the, 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 the way that I'm making my living right now is to be... Uh, to, to capitalise on the success of the song, to be very frank with you. Um, but the, the, in the intervening years between 2004, when the film was released... Uh, and 2010, when I decided to make to, to to do something about being in America, unfortunately there was a. I don't really want to go into this, but there there was another band that was kind of pretending to be us, if you like. Okay. And and that was the reason why we didn't uh, we couldn't come out of, uh, and because uh, I was always puzzled as to why you know we got a hit movie, why are we not out there? But there was no agents asking us to come out, and I, I was trying all sorts of different ways to get in touch with people. Eventually I did get in touch with an agent who, who, who then came on board and, and then decided to get us some shows and then we came out in 2011, Andrew and I did a tour um, and then 2012 I came out on my own. Andrew's got other commitments down in London so I mean the, the beauty of this I can actually go because I, I sang the lead vocals, I can do shows with 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 or without Andrew. Of course, it's called When in Rome. When Andrew's with us, it's called When in Rome. When it's just me, it's Clive Farrington, original lead singer of When in Rome. It sounds like a mouthful, but that's the way we have to do it. But now, so so now, you said you uh, had written a song with this gentleman in Mexico. You'd written a song with Alex Sintek. Yeah. Are, are you starting to write with other people, or people coming to you? And how do you find someone that sits there and goes, "Okay, I want to"? I mean, how, same thing. But now yeah. it's the internet and stuff. You can get in touch with people. But how do people seek you out, or do you sit there and go, "I, I like that guy. I want to try to write for him." Luckily, God gave me a voice that people want to record. You know, I, 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 I people approach me and say, "We like your voice. That, 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 you know, will you sing on the track?" And that's exactly what Alex Sintek has done. And, and you know what was really great? We played this little show the other night in Orange, Orange County, and uh, I sang the promise with a band called The Reflex. And uh, at the end of the show, there were a couple of girls came up to me and they said, uh, "You sound exactly like you do on the record." And that for me is just like, you know, to be able to keep that that same, you know, because of course, of course I'm older now, and and people do they do tend to change in the in the vocal ranges. Yeah, and, 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 and when like you that. sing for that long, it's got to take a, a yeah. taxing on your voice. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird because back in that in the eighties, we thought we could just jump on stage and just 
sing it and, right. and, 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 and you wouldn't lose your voice. So we were losing our voice every other day and stuff. But now I do train my voice. I do do all the exercises and everything else so that, um, you know, that I'm, I, I, I can at least hit the notes and everything else. But it's really nice when somebody comes up and says, you, you know, you still sound the same as you did on the record. And, and of course, Alex Syntex approached me to do stuff with him from the, the, from what I'd heard from uh, you, you know from the recordings and everything else. So, yeah, I, I mean, I am look. I I look for people as well. I I actually I, I worked with a fellow called John Brooks last uh, well like two years ago on an, an album, a solo album called Independence, and uh, that's a great story in itself because I'd started work at this studio. I was studio studio manager. Okay, I have a studio in a place called Oldley Edge in Cheshire, where I'm from. Uh, and I was overseeing the build of that, and I was doing all the technical install at the studio and everything, because that's where I lo- I love being in the studio, and I love all of that. All the and the building of the studio is fantastic. It was such a great experience. So at the same time as this studio is being built, another little studio is being built by the same people around the corner. And they said we've been over at that studio. We met this fella called John Brooks, who owns this little studio, and it's right around the corner from where I live. So I dropped my card off at, at the studio, and it turns out he, he was. He, he was ill at the time he'd just come back from Malaysia and uh, his dad gave him the card and he contacted me a couple of weeks later and uh, I, I, we started recording in his studio and we, we made this album together and he, he comes from the film side of things so I was relaying these melodies to okay. him and he was playing these beautiful film scores and I was, I was singing on top of it so we wrote, wrote this album so that was one that I actually instigated and of course then there's the Alex Sintek uh, side of things where he actually approached me so I I actively approach people and luckily people still still like the sound of my voice so we have a few minutes left and uh, so any any um, are you any plans for you to go do some shows coming yep. up so we can come see you people you know because you know we love you know, now it's great because <laughs> a lot of the 80s bands they play together and yep. it, it's such a great show and there's it's just fun and yep. is there anything coming up there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I've decided to start again. I've got, I have a new ma- manager, Maggie Carnes, who, who's looking after my uh, the, the, the future stuff for me. And, and, and it, it, for, me, for me, what we had to do is we, we started from scratch and, 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 and decided to look at the whole thing again because uh, over, the, over the last couple of years, we've been doing some really nice shows and stuff, but we kind of want to step up a little uh, a gear and, 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 and do things a little bit different. Uh, so we do have stuff in the pipeline, we, which we can't. Uh, nothing's written down yet, but uh, there are, there's some really good stuff coming up, and uh, it will be announced. Um, I am at the uh, New Wave Bar this Friday uh, where, as a guest of uh, the band that are playing there, the Reflex. All right, I wish uh, I, I, I'll be in San Fran, so I can I can check that out. <laughs> I just want to yeah say hello to the people in San Fran for me, uh, but. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Steve Benz because Steve Benz at WSDI gave me the, the the first shot on radio after since the eighties. Steve's great. He's he's brilliant, and uh, of course, uh, all these big corporate stations now they're dealing with all the top twenty albums, and uh, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty difficult to get in there now. So Steve Benz had the faith in me. He plays a lot of the stuff off my Independence album. He still plays the When in Rome stuff, and of course, he's con- he's made he's given me contact with yourself, and it's it's just f- I love this. I love this. You know this, uh, you know the independent radio stuff. I think that's the way that it should be. Go- it will go back to that. There's no, I there's hope. no question. Uh, I think it will because people will actually realise that it, it, corporates are in in it for the. We all know what they're in it's the wrong reason. It's <laughs> even even the radio talk shows yeah. now are just different. So yeah, yeah. Okay, so now your website is. It's clivefarrington.com, and then there's the when in Rome, when in Rome official.com. 
and uh, my uh, Facebook is Clive Farrington. It's very, very simple. Do, do you tweet? I do. I, I'm not a great tweeter, but I've been told that I, Maggie, my manager, keeps telling me, keeps gotta, shouting at me. You got to tweet. You, you, I've got to keep tweeting. Like you tweet and it's, uh, yeah. it's so I just funny. don't like the word tweet, you know what I, I mean? Know. He tweeted. It's, well, it's not, it, it, the thing is, it also disciplines you because you have to sit there and whatever you want to say, you got to make it compact. Yeah. You know, you have to sit there and go, okay, it can be 132 characters. Yeah, and, and, and without sounding... Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> not like you want to sound, if you like. I want to thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. I'm glad yeah, you guys made you. it down. I'm, I'm glad you guys braved the traffic. Uh, <laughs> and you get to go down. Now you get to go back to the beach where I have to go. Oh. I live right down the street. Yeah. And it's like 95 degrees here. It's yeah. probably 75 for you guys. Yeah, it was 97 on the beach, supposedly, oh to, to, today. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, so. I want to thank you, Clive. It was great thank meeting you. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, people, uh, follow me. Follow uh, me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. Also, send me an email, cooper at indie100.com. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. Uh, if you want to hear past episodes, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have about 255 episodes up there. Or if you have a uh, Google uh, Google Android phone, uh, Android tablet, go to the Google Play Store, and you can just type in Cooper Talk, and the Cooper Talk app will pop up. Also, go to iTunes or Stitcher, and you can check them out, and they have... Uh, they have all my past shows, too. And people, I have a big show coming up uh, May 29th uh, at Bob's Espresso. Bob's zoned by uh, Robert Romanos, who played Demona Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'll be doing Cooper Talk Live to a live audience with John Kapalos, who was the janitor from Breakfast Club and uh, 16 Candles. So come on down. It's Bob's Espresso in North Hollywood. It's free. We're going to do an uh, hour interview and then do a Q&A. So, yeah, so that's about it. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water. Eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and you guys have a wonderful weekend.